It's time for Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Ken is a nationally syndicated automotive journalist and photographer who has been in and around the industry for over 30 years. So tune in for your fill of automotive information and entertainment with your automotive ringmaster, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Welcome to another episode of Roadworthy Drive. I'm your host, Ken Chester. I'm so glad you chose to be with us. Every week, we cover the latest breaking news and technology concerning what moves us. And trust me, it's a vast, exciting, and changing world out there. As usual, we have plenty to get to, including our rummaging around for news from the parts bin. But first, for those of you who want to add your voice to the conversation, call or text me via the Roadworthy Drive line. That number... 872-222-9793. It's good anytime. If email is your preference, my address is ken at roadworthydrive.net. Either way, we'll connect you to me and the show. We are in studio with the Roadworthy Drive crew at full strength. Maybe. Full strength, really. Maybe. Maybe you're not? Okay. Well, from the man with a steady hand on the controls and the maybe in his mind... My friend and Roadworthy Drive executive producer, Jack DeLeon, and at Mike 2, <laughs> the sweet, sassy hostess of the social media-only show, Wheels of Non-Consent, the mysterious one from that undisclosed location. Which you just disclosed. Actually, I didn't. You said at Mike 2. Yeah. Yes. But we don't know where <laughs> you came in from. Where is Mike 2? I don't know. Is it even in the studio? I don't I know. I hear this voice, this feminine <laughs> voice, just ringing through the studio. Anyway. your headsets are too loud. That could be. <laughs> Lady Sasha. Howdy, my peoples. Hello, Ken. Hi, bud. Hey, two, yes. th- two things. Yes. Number one, I wanted to know, because I didn't see this anyplace in the script. Uh-huh. We lost your best friend, Sergio, this week. Um, first of all, not my best friend, and I'm being kind. Okay. Um, I will leave it at this. Uh, the auto <clears throat> industry as a whole... Mm. reveres the man for turning around Fiat Chrysler, which, in fairness, he did, he did mm. and have them largely out of debt. Mm. While you may not uh, appreciate mm. his choices for what brands to support and what brands not to, mm-hmm. the man was really kind of in a, in a trick bag in that the industry turned full towards SUVs and pickup trucks. Yep, and and passenger cars weren't selling. Yep. So while, uh, while there is some question on whether Dodge or Chrysler as brands will have a future, and even Fiat will have a future in the future, the man did what he had to do to preserve the company, and there are a lot of people grateful today across the United States of America that still have a job because of that man. Yep, So, and I, I hate seeing anybody go out the way he went out. Yeah. Because I've had two people in my family that have died of a stroke. Mm-hmm. So, okay, number two. Yes. Hopefully in two weeks, mm-hmm. we are going to have a major announcement to make. Actually, we'll be making that announcement probably in a week. I thought it was two weeks. No, actually, we have to make it am in I, a week. Am I then... behind a week again? You are. You are. I'm, yes. I'm but sorry. in any case, Jack is right. We've and we got, can't tell you. Ha, we, ha, ha. We got something brewing. It's going to be exciting. Uh, may give you a chance, in fact, to meet us. But we can't tell you anything about it yet. Until we get that confirmed by the suits. You want a hint? Yes, please. How long can you tread water? 
Uh, not nearly long enough. Not nearly long enough. Not nearly okay, long enough. We're going what, to the ocean? What is and in the park? No, dear, we're not. What is in the park then this week? Um, what if I told you that the Soviet, I'm sorry, the communist country of Vietnam has an automaker? That would not surprise me. And that the head of their automaking operations uh-huh. used to work for General Motors. Okie dokie. It's called VinFast, and they're going to in- unveil an Italian design crossover and sedan at the p- upcoming Paris Auto Show. Hmm. When is the Paris Auto Show? Well, from what I understand, it's coming up soon. I'm not sure of the exact dates, but basically, the crossover they want to introduce is similar in size to the BMW X5, while the sedan is about the size of an Audi A6. Both vehicles have been designed by Italy's Pininfarina, uh, and they've been known. They're a design house that's been legendary for years. And we talked about them before on the show. And we'll use German technology. Now, the company, uh, VinFast, is part of a larger Vietnamese conglomerate, Vin Group, and it's led by a guy by the name of James DeLuca, former vice president of manufacturing for General Motors. And this is a quote. We have the resources scalability, and commitment to become a significant new player in the global automotive industry. They signed a deal with GM in June to take over their factory in Hanoi, along with their dealer network and employee-based. But that's not all. They are building a brand-new plant in northern Vietnam at a cost, American dollars, $1.5 billion. That's with a B. Wow. So they're going to end up having two plants, but that's still more. Um, Magna International is a well-known, rather large Canadian automotive supplier. They do business with pretty much all the automakers uh, around the world. Okay. They're carrying out the technology, the technical development and vehicle engineering for the SUV and sedan. And right now they're calling it for gasoline engines, and those engines are going to be developed by an Austrian company. Now, once they get these launched, they're looking at launching too many cars one electric, one gasoline, again, uh, designed by another firm called Ital Design. And they had won a competition uh, after showing designs judged by the pub- Vietnam public. Oh, okay. These guys ain't playing. They're looking at launching these, I guess, as 2020 model year vehicles at the end of 2019. They're looking at annual production by 2025 of 500,000 vehicles with an initial output between 100,000 and 200,000. Here's the thing I want everybody to remember. This is the last quote of this piece. It also plans to export to foreign markets. They didn't specify, but... uh, Uh, Duh, GM. Yeah, duh. First and second largest markets in the world. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. I don't have to paint that picture, do I? No. Okay. Next. Um, Daimler. Uh, the parent of Mercedes-Benz. Right. Yep. These guys ain't playing. They actually um, are teaming up with two different companies. One, uh, Envia, N-V-I-D-I-A, right. which develops a lot of the uh, background of platform systems for semi-autonomous and fully autonomous cars. They're teaming up with Daimler, Envia System, and Bosch, which is a German part supplier. Mm-hmm. To deploy self-driving taxis in California's Silicon Valley next year. Nice. It's part of a test, 
program for fully automated vehicles designed by city designed for city driving. Okay. Their pilot project will demonstrate how mobility services such as car sharing, ride hailing, and their words, multimodal platforms can be intelligently connected to the shape uh, to shape the future of mobility. So they say, and they're using NVIDIA's uh, AI platform, their artificial intelligence platform, right? The Drive Pegasus system. Yep. To do it. But that's not all they did. Mercedes-Benz also turned around, and they have a deal with Chinese uh, company Beidou, uh, deepening an autonomous partnership um, using the connectivity services uh, into Mercedes-Benz infotainment system. They joined forces uh, last year to develop Apollo, a self-driving platform which has the goal of accelerating autonomous vehicle research and promoting the drafting of related laws and regulations. They're also testing um, automated, fully autonomous vehicles in Beijing. So here's a company hedging their bets in the first and second largest uh, car markets in the world. Okay. And the reason why I say all that is that we are in a... Transportation and mobility is a global business. Yes, it, is. it has global impact. Used to be that if you were in a different country doing something, you might you might see it happen in America, you might see it happen in China, but not necessarily. When when did Toyota and Honda come over? Was it in the late seventies, early eighties? They came they built plants in the early eighties as a result, ironically enough, of what we called saber rattling by Congress. To throw up tariffs. They voluntarily agreed to limit the number of vehicles in 81 and 82 to about 2.2 million vehicles. As a result, shortly thereafter, they built car plants. Now, Honda was already here with the motorcycle plant, Mm -hmm. but Toyota came, Honda came with their car plants, Nissan came. And that's what happened. That's what tariffs do uh, and can do. You know, but right now... With this global thing, um, it's not that simple. Things don't come from just one country. They come from a little bit of everywhere. Yep. So we're going to see what happens, and that's why I wanted to make the point about the Vietnamese company, why I wanted to show you how Daimler is hedging their bets around the world. They're not just putting all their eggs in one basket. Now, find out next what Sasha discovered during her test drive this week and why it's a very important thing, although we have never discussed it until now. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive. with the Marquee, the most dramatically styled automobile since the Continental Mark III. Marquee, a completely new look in medium-price cars. Lincoln Mercury leads the way. 
Here's another winner from Lincoln Mercury. Mercury Monterey, completely restyled for 69. Longer, more luxurious than any Monterey before, with the kind of hushed, quiet ride you'd expect from the makers of Lincoln Continental. Mercury Monterey, the all-new marquee. Each one a big, beautiful reason why... Lincoln Mercury... At the sign of a cat. Right? Just I, saying. That was their tagline. I remember that one. Yep. You're listening to Roadworthy Drive, home of real facts, real opinions, and real talk. I'm your host, Ken Chester. Thank you for dropping by. For this segment, I want to talk about rear seat safety. When I was a kid, my dad installed rear seat belts a few years before it was required as safety equipment. I learned early about the need to buckle up, and that was back in the 1960s. Today, we have chimes and visual indicators for the driver and front passenger, but what about the people in the rear seat? Sasha, what did you find out? Well, um, I was doing my Wheels of Non-Consent with the 2019 Lexus. Um, ES, right? Yeah, it was the ES350 Sport. F-Sport. Well, the F-Sport is a package, and yes. it was the first year that they allowed the F-Sport on the uh Yes. Mm -hmm. So when I got into the car, I had the kids in the back and we rode, but there was a different indicator after I dropped the kids off. And it basically had a picture of the three back seats in red with an X going through it. Okay. And what did, what did you find out? Because I'd never seen anything like that right. before you told me about it. Right. What it is, is Lexus is actually putting in a system that it's it's based off of opening the back door mm -hmm. in a certain sequence, and it will activate those. Okay, so is the thing, I guess the question is, because there's really two issues here. Mm -hmm. Is it a seatbelt reminder system, or is it I left my kids in the back seat system? It is a seatbelt reminder system. Okay, because what we've talked about, we've talked about this. Yes. Um, is the fact that automakers in recent years, with the increase of, uh, babies and children, young children being left in hot vehicles mm -hmm. that uh, automakers, particularly General Motors, have taken the lead in notification of the driver should, you know, it sense that there may be a child still back there to check the back seat. Right. Well, and see, my thing as a parent, um, that's well and good, but also making sure that the children are still in their seatbelts mm -hmm. when you've got, you know, the pesky six-year-old, but, you know, when they're in their booster seat. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, that was kind of nice. Evidently, it's not so much geared on to um, there's a sensor in the the door, and but there's not one, and there's a sensor in the actual seat belts themselves. Okay, but not in the seat. Not in the seat. It's so, not weight generated. Oh, okay. Okay, well, that just answered my question. I'm going to ask you, what, it, what does it do when you have groceries all over the back seat. See, and that's what actually started it, is that the children were no longer in the back seat. You had dropped them off, correct? I had already dropped them off, and that's when the indica indicator light actually came on. Now, now to credit, um, Sasha did talk to Lexus. Uh, Lexus engineer said, as she explained it, uh, that the engineer said that that is a glitch. Now, I need to say that the vehicle that she evaluated for Wheels of Non-Consent Mm -hmm. was a pre-production model. Mm -hmm. And they tell you specifically that with a pre-production model, it's mostly there, but there may be some things that yet need to be calibrated. Yeah. But here's the thing. 
up till now, I didn't even know there was such a thing as any sort of advanced seatbelt reminder systems. And in fact, we're behind schedule. For the record, and I'm not talking about the leaving a kid back there, about making sure the rear seats, if there's someone in the back seat, are buckled. Similar to your passenger seat. Yeah, in the front. In the well, front. Or this, your driver's seat in the yes. front. Yep, it's, or the driver's seat. Would you believe that these standards in Europe and Japan have been around since 2014? We and are that, so and that, behind. And that there was actually rulemaking yep. by law for us to adopt it by now. But uh, NHTSA has not gotten there and, in fact, is currently being sued because of it? Yep. Yeah. Six years have gone by since Congress passed a law calling on the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to develop standards for mandatory rear seat safety belt reminders. Yet, NHTSA has failed to act. One of the, one of the, uh, one of the organizations filing the lawsuit is uh, an organization called kidsincars.org. Yep. And this is different. Again, I want to make this differentiation. It is different from the uh, leaving the kid in the back seat and, you know, hot, what I call hot baby issue. Right, because the one, the car is actually off. Mm-hmm. Okay, for that alert. The Correct. other one, the car is running. And go ahead, Jack. Now, here's a question that I've, that I've got. We, we've had this happen Exactly in this state. And we've had a couple babies pass away because they got yep. too hot. Mm-hmm. Are, the, are the car companies, I hate to use the luxury ones, but they're the ones that usually have the app. Yeah. Well, um, do, do they have an app now that senses that there's somebody still in the vehicle let, now let, me, let you know? Let me answer that question because it's different from the seatbelt issue. Yeah, because there's General, one that's... General Motors, Hyundai, and Nissan yep. have devices. Hyundai's is a little bit different. Uh, the General Motors system... And the Nissan Vistum monitor where the rear doors have been opened or closed. Yep. Hyundai's new rear occupant alert uses sensors that detect movement in the rear seat. Yep. And that's some of the larger problem is that even if you're in your belt, you have more freedom of movement back there as opposed to the front seat where you're in the seat. You're bolstered. You don't move. Okay, but. Yes. That child seat. Mm-hmm. Does the child? I don't know this. I don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Right. Does the child seat move enough to set that off? Well, and see, when they did like the video on it, and when mm-hmm. they were going through the sensors, they didn't specifically talk about like infant in like a rear-facing car seat. Let me let say? me read this out because we're coming up near the break. Um, to give you an idea, um, Hyundai's rolling out their rear occupant alert. In select 2019 vehicles, yep. GM introduced its own rear seat reminder 2017 in the GMC Acadia, and now it's been expanded across Buick, Cadillac, Chevrolet, and GMC models. This August, this past August, Nissan announced it would add a rear door to alert to its 2018 Pathfinder with other models to follow. Both GM and Nissan systems monitor rear doors for activity and both display a reminder message on the instrument cluster as the driver is exiting the vehicle. GM's admits a series of chimes, while Nissan's can chirp the horn. Both can be deactivated. Hyundai's will be able to be shut off as well. So there's some room there, and like any new system, uh, I'm sure they'll tweak it as they get feedback and as they get history with it. So a little, a little bit of something there that really here we've never really talked about. No, we never have. But, you know, it's important to note that rear safety, rear seat safety is a thing, and NHTSA should have had it fully implemented by this past May. When it comes to human so-called safety drivers who monitor self-driving cars, I've been a skeptic. Still am. 
We'll revisit that topic again next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. We are Roadworthy Drive. This is Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester. Welcome to the downhill side of this hour of Roadworthy Drive, home of real facts, real opinions, and real talk. I'm your mobility tour guide for the hour, Ken Chester. Thank you for taking the time to join us. For those of you who want or need more than your fair share of the road that our regular scheduled time together each week, um, then our regular scheduled time each week, <laughs> check out our website, www.roadworthydrive.com. Learn about the Roadworthy Drive crew, videos of our behind-the-scenes shenanigans, in-studio, and so much more. The website is also the place to discover where to find us in the world of social media. For those of you who like us on Facebook, we've recently developed a new social media-only video series hosted by our very own Sasha of the Roadworthy Drive crew. Sasha, why don't you tell the folks a little bit more about it? <laughs> okay. so Go for it. Um. Ken normally gets uh, one to two cars a week, and I thought that it would be a great opportunity to show our fan base exactly what's out there. What's out there for automotive tech, what's out there for what their dollars can buy, um, because a lot of people don't know. And I think at any given point, there's always going to be one, two, 10,000 people that are going to be looking to make that big purchase. What? Yes. And a lot of people aren't aware. I mean, if you're just wanting to spend 25000 if you're only wanting to spend 35000 you know. Wait a minute. Excuse me. Only 35000 Stop it. My, mm. my Hyundai. My Hyundai. 35000 That's a little rich for me, but continue. Anyway, um, it's one of those things where I, I wanted to give a dialogue to people. And I think we're actually going to delve into like, you know, sil silly things like Bluetooth and stuff like that. Bluetooth is silly now? Well, kind of. Uh -huh. Well, no, it takes, it takes an awful lot to program it. And by the way, did you bring it back? I mean, I'm still here. I mean, can't we just... I they mean, couldn't find her. We made it all oh, the way through the segment. They parked it on the street before... the last time. <laughs> oh, Jeez. oh, and by the way, there yeah. was no GTA charge? The what, the who, the? GTA, Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> yeah, no, not this time. We found it a few blocks over. <clears throat> That's all I got to say. What? And moving on. Folks, that's Wheels of Non-Consent exclusively on Facebook. You cannot find that anywhere else. Some people would be saying, thank God. For those of you who are extremely mobile, you can hear past shows on Google Play and Blueberry Podcasting. Be sure to check it out. Now, time for my rant. Mm. Yeah, it's the following is a Ken Chester rant. Views expressed do not reflect the editorial opinion of your station, of me, and of Sasha. Go why, on. Why you got to be a hater? Like I really I'm think, not being a hater. I really no. think we need like the. Ant, no, ant. no, we can do without that. <laughs> oh, you mean this? Yeah, no, I think we can do without <laughs> that. Anyway, uh, regular listeners know uh, my take on these so-called. Human safety drivers. For the autonomous vehicle. For the autonomous yeah, vehicles. Yeah, they're great, right? Now, when they 
back in the early days, and I'm saying like from 2009 when, when Google started with Waymo to maybe even 2013, 2014 when they're trying to figure things out and the vehicle was moving like 10, 15 miles an hour. Those are the early days? Yeah, those are the early days. <laughs> Way back olden days when the world was new and life. When we life, had just given up the pony and the cart. When we just figured out the wheel. <laughs> My problem is you can't – if the vehicle is going 35 mm. miles an hour. Yes. Yes, sir. Which is typical speed limit for what we call back east, thickly settled, or residential. Mm-hmm. There ain't no way, even with both hands on the wheel as far as I'm concerned, if something came up where the vehicle's just puddling along and suddenly you have to be engaged all of a sudden, right? Mm-hmm. that you're going to act in time. Well, I mean, to be fair. Are these bionic human hybrids? No. So these are standardized human beings that they are expecting to act faster. After maybe hours of boredom. Right, right. Because, I mean, we're all just thrilled watching the same thing. Oh, come on. Are you you saying that these guys are not watching their their cell phones? Okay, no. They're not supposed to be. They're not supposed to be. That's the whole point. Or or watching us on YouTube? No. (laughs) Hi, not, guys. not while they're driving. Let's hope not. But, I mean, he brings up a good point. I mean, they are expecting these people to act faster than the computer. Let me throw this at you. This is some closure on the Uber thing that happened in Arizona. Right. Yep. Get this. Uber's car, it was a problem with the software that decides how the car should react to objects. Yep. It saw the woman. Yep. It was adjusted to ignore objects in the road. What? Yes. The car sensors detected the pedestrian who was crossing the street with a bicycle, yep. but Uber's software decided it didn't need to act right away. That's a result how the software was tuned. It might have been, and I'm just putting this out there, the car might have done an algebraic expression and thought that the woman would be out of the road, something like that, but no. Okay, as I'm trying no, to pick let, my mouth up off the board. Let, let me throw this at you why it was that. According to Uber, the software has the ability to ignore what they call, quote, false positives or objects in its path oh. that would narrowly be a problem for the vehicle, such as a plastic bag floating over the road. Or a puppy or kitten. You know. Now, the tuning went too far and the car didn't act enough. But here's, here's my beef. Meanwhile, the human driver behind the wheel, who was meant to take over... And prevent the accident wasn't paying attention in the seconds before the car hit the woman at nearly 40 miles an hour. I contend unto you, even if they had both hands on the wheel and she came up like that and you've been riding in this thing for hours by yourself, that your mind would not react. You're talking about nanoseconds, not even tenths of a second. Yeah. Nanoseconds to respond. Now, in doing my research for this story, come to find out. Some of the automakers up till recently only required a couple of weeks of training. <laughs> I'm not even lying. A <laughs> couple of weeks. Ken, tell me how you really feel. At minimum wage? Uh, actually, no. Okay. They actually get paid by some of these companies up to $25 an hour. Sign me up. I'm the, moving. The problem is what they're going to now. Now, one of the folks was Cruise Automation. Yeah. And in May, when the story was done... They were only putting people through about three weeks of training. In June, when they went back to them with their filing with the state of California, yeah, they got the message and upped the training considerably along with retraining. And in their case, 
they require two people to be in the vehicle. One to do the monitoring so their eyes ain't on the road, and the other one on the road with both hands on the steering wheel. I still contend at 40 miles an hour. Yeah. And you, I mean, we're human. We get bored. I don't care how active you are and you're there staring at the road. Mm-hmm. Even if you're staring at the road, the, I mean, how many times under certain situations, maybe after a long day, you're going home, your eyes are on the road, your hands are on the steering wheel, and you come to yourself and you don't realize you hadn't seen the last half mile, right? two blocks, one yep. block, 100 yards. You don't even remember seeing it. Are you saying the lights are on and no one's home? Sometimes. And that's the scary part. Yeah, I contend. I contend that I don't care where they go, and I understand why they're trying to do it, but a human will never act as fast for these systems nope. at, at speed, than at a computer speed, will. than a computer will. So if the computer malfunctions, you're still up a creek, folks. That's my point. In this current environment, it was bound to happen. The state of California and the federal EPA are squaring off over vehicle emissions. The Cali Smackdown is next. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. You're riding shotgun with the Roadworthy Drive crew. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is America's premier automotive news and information talk show. Buy a wrestling or a boxing belt to get you two to, to stay on tap. Oh, no. Sasha's in rare form this afternoon. Oh, yes, she is. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And by the way, this is Roadworthy Drive. He's Ken. I'm Jack. She's Sasha. I am Sassy Sasha. Still. Still. Real Still facts, Sasha. real opinions, and real talk. Really? Trust me. Yeah, really. Welcome to the last segment for this hour of Roadworthy Drive. And like the man said, I'm Ken Chester. As we wrap up this hour of our weekly visit, I thought I would talk about the showdown that's shaping up between the state of California and the Federal Environmental Protection Agency, better known as the EPA. Did you know that Congress originally issued the state of California a waiver from the Clean Air Act when it was passed in the early 1970s? Right. With waiver in hand, California went on to impose stricter standards than the federal ones. And over time... A group of states in the Northeast also adopted the California standards. Mm-hmm. And for a while, back in the day, uh, you used to have uh, the rest of the U.S. standards and California standards, uh, sometimes referred to in the industry as 49 plus 1. Now, as the federal standard became more stringent, and it was about 2009, there was actually regulation harmony until recently between California and the feds. Now, on the window sticker of a new vehicle. Mm-hmm. It says 50 state emissions. That is right now. Right now. Okay. Right now, as I mentioned. And is that about to change? Uh, yeah. Uh, the administration plans to challenge the state of California is right to set its own fuel emission standards. And let them know why. Uh, because they want to pull back the waiver granted to California as part of the Clean Air Act, which should be interesting since that was legislated by Congress. I don't think that a federal agency can take the waiver. Congress probably could, but they well. And 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 it's not because they want California to rise up to the new standards, but they want to bring California back down. 
No, actually, they want to take the whole country back down. Yeah. The bigger. Oh, I didn't know that. The yeah. big thing they want to do is suspend and otherwise lock in the fuel economy standards and emission standards for what was set for 2020 and scrub the 2025 standards. Oh, that's how they're going to do this. That's how they're trying to do this. Okay. Can I just say this at this point? Yeah. I have been to California. Mm -hmm. I have driven to California. I have flown to California. Mm Mm-hmm. I've seen it from the air. I've seen it from the windshield. That's what I was going to ask you. Yeah. I've seen it from the air. I've seen it from the windshield. It's called, my term, brown haze or smog. Actually, photochemical smog. And it has 700 different compounds in it. It's still smog. Yeah. But Which pro- is not good to be breathing. But the, just... prob- the problem is, some of those compounds, they don't even know what they are. Yeah. And wow. here's Well, that's what happens when you get multiple co- compounds in the air, and then, you know, they... Add sunlight, mix together, and let simmer. Yeah. Um, And my thing is, is that in certain parts of the country, as we are talking right now, California, they need to have higher standards in order to maintain a healthy existence for their constituents. Okay. Here's my question. Go ahead. Why does it seem like it's more of a problem in California and not in New York City? Uh, let's start with this. No, we're going to take her answer. Aww. Um, that has to do with wind patterns. It also has to do with the amount of, um, uh, what is it? Uh, the, there's something else that they do in California. Um, well, number one, their gas pumps are completely different. Okay. Let me, no. hel- let me help you with that while she's thinking. Okay. Number one, California is the largest state market. They sold 2 million new cars and trucks Last year in California alone. Now that was new. That's not combined. Do they have a higher? That's just new. Do they have cars a higher, and light trucks? Um, cars per capita. Yeah. Yeah. Plus the uh, the topography of California, particularly L.A., is like a bowl. Yep. Which, with the way the weather patterns work, that smog is tailor made to settle. Also, um, they are basically at two million. They sell as many new cars and trucks. Is all of Canada. Wow. Yeah. You've got a lot of vehicles out there. Now, um, the administration wants to also, they want to regulate greenhouse gas emissions, including its mandate for electric car sales. They want to take that away from California. California's going to court. They ain't even playing. Nope. Now, here's the problem with all of that. In the rest of the world, <laughs> they're moving towards electric vehicles. Yeah. They're moving towards higher... Stricter emissions. They're moving towards all this other stuff. If you are a global manufacturer, you want the United States to come up with one set of rules. Yep. That hopefully is consistent with where the rest of the world is going. Why? Because this doesn't help automakers at all. Because if they have to go, if they have to take their assets and do this with it and that with it, then neither one of them is cutting edge. And is actually throwing them back in the dark ages, making them less likely to compete. What people need to understand, the United States of America is 5% of the world's population. Hard truth, people. Get over it. Second thing, um, at the same time, we're also the second largest auto market in the world. China's the largest and growing and going electric big time. And if you want to compete and you want to do business and you want to stay relevant... You better be on that. Yeah. Now, if you have to take resources to go backwards, 
then that's money you're not using to stay cutting edge, which makes you weaker as a company, yeah. not stronger. Company or country? Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just wasn't sure. One not, that I'm, not that I'm on my war path or anything. I'm right there with you. But we were on track. Yep. Uh, going to 50 miles a gallon by 2025. They mm. want to scrap that, keep it at 35. They want to lessen or reduce uh, emission standards by taking California's away. Uh, California had the right back in 1970. They've been doing it for 48 years. With not a problem. Yeah. So I, I, I got a problem with this. Um, it, I don't believe in that every time you want to back down federal regulations, it's a good thing. Okay, but didn't you just contradict yourself? No. When you, when you said that it, we basically need 50 states on the same standard if we're going to compete in the world. Is but that not what I go- understood? But not going backwards. Right now, current administration wants to roll stuff back. Yeah, if we wanted to rise up to the standard that California has, absolutely, I'd be all for that. But trying to lower California to everybody else and then lower that even more? That's where they want to do. And in addition, major, other other major auto market, I can't talk. <laughs> other major auto markets such as China and Europe are pressing forward with tougher mandates of their own cleaner cars. Being standard helps everybody. Going backwards doesn't. Um, that, my, my friends, wraps up. This conversation for the hour. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. This is Roadworthy Drive. Roadworthy Drive with Ken Chester is a copyrighted presentation of the Roadworthy Drive Radio Network. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of the Motor News Media Corporation.